Welcome, everybody. This is the Small Council, where we discuss anything and everything, A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game by Simon. A uh, quick rundown of the show. Uh, we do it live so that you guys can kind of jump on and we can, you know, let you, you know, talk to us or some of our guests, you know, kind of give your input. Um, so if that interests you, definitely call in, and then towards the end of the show, we'll try to take a couple callers. Um, but, uh, yeah, tonight's show, we have on a couple guests. Uh, we will be talking about the tournament that just happened in Indianapolis um, at uh, Family Time Games. Uh, I do have to apologize. I am uh, currently sick, so I'm going to kind of get through this intro for you guys and then, uh, you know, go over um, my list and then kind of let everyone else take away the show uh, for tonight. But uh, so we have with us uh, every host. Uh, so we have Brett, Justin, Jose, myself, uh, Chris, and then we also have our guests, which is uh, John Hurley and Craig, uh, who took uh, second and third place at the tournament. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. Well, yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, no problem. So I'm going to kind of just really quickly jump into my list uh, and what I faced, just to kind of get out of the way, just before my voice starts to go away again. Um, so I took two lists, um, but I only ended up actually using one of them. Uh, it was uh, my usual uh, uh, Stark list. It was uh, Umber Great Axes with uh, Blackfish uh, Commander, another Umber Great Axe with Hodor, um, Berserkers with uh, um, Rickon and Osha, another Berserker, and normally I'd ha have a uh, Sword and Sword Captain, but in this one, just to kind of deal with uh, some other Stark players, I threw in Mira instead. Um, Obviously, I got uh, Summer and um, Shaggy Dog for free. And then I took uh, Eddard and uh, Catelyn as my NCUs. Um, ended up facing uh, Craig first round in Clash of Kings, and that was definitely a hard-fought you know, battle. I think we ended it 9-10, to 10, if I'm not mistaken, Craig. Yeah, that is correct. So it was definitely back and forth. Uh, I thought from the get-go I was going to be done for because he had a, an all-cav list, and he was able to grab all three objectives before I was able to claim any. But thankfully I was able to uh, contest most of the game to kind of give myself you know, a fighting chance. Uh, next I played uh, um, another Stark. So I played uh, Craig, who was Stark's. And then I played a, my second game, which was Starks again. Um, and uh, remind me, guys, what was our second mission? I was kind of out that uh, day. I was uh, pretty sick. So, yes, yeah, Feast for Crows. So um, that one uh, kind of was looking really bad for me. I lost two units right at the you know get-go, but that actually ended up kind of saving me because I was able to place the new corpse piles back near me and I just kind of retreated back onto them and then slowly just uh, kind of took away with the points in the later rounds uh, and then 
last mission um, was uh, uh, was that dance. Uh, dance? Dance with okay, Dragon. Dance. Yep. And we uh, that one was a bloodbath. I ended up facing uh, a good friend, uh, Brett, one of Brett's really good friends too, and um, it was just. I think at the end of the game, we both had uh, one unit with one guy left on it, and then another unit at half uh, half health. And, you know, it ended only uh, the difference between a couple of victory points. So I ended up going two and one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely not an easy day. Um, that and, you know, I had just gotten sick uh, a couple of days prior, so it was kind of miserable in that sense. But, Overall, the day was it was super fun. What uh, about, so, uh, what for, yeah, go ahead, Justin. Uh, so I ended up getting fourth place as Justin uh, with neutrals, slightly ahead of Dave. Uh, my first game for Clash of Kings, I also faced an all cab list. It was Lannisters. Whoo, that game was that was a good game, but I got smoked. Bruce Bolton against Lannisters, he was able to keep me down the entire time. Every time I went to go activate Walder, when I didn't have priority, or I think one of them was when I had priority, he shut him down with Intrigue and Subterfuge, so that was a big hit. Uh, he randomly kept making me discard Calculated Cruelty, which is not fun, because that's the card that you want out there, especially against Cav. Um, and then it ended, I think, eight, 8 or 9 to 6, so it wasn't horrible, but it was very hard to fight that many Cav. Even if you you do good enough to kill something, they're just charging you back right away. It was it was really rough. My uh, I was hoping Roos would do more, but he didn't really hole out for me. So the next game, I decided to go with Ramsey, um, and I'll talk about that actual list. The Roos list wasn't um, good enough for me to talk about, <laughs> but the Ramsey list was uh, Cutthroats with Ramsey and Theon, Bastard Girls with a Stormcrow Lieutenant, Flademan. Uh, some Stormcrow mercenaries with a lieutenant, and then a regular Cutthroats with Tycho and Peter. And honestly, this did do really well for me. The next game I played for Feast of Crows, I played against Starks, um, actually one of Craig's friends, a very fun player to play against. Uh, his Eddard commander decided to just sprint right up the field into my Cutthroats, and jeez, did it take everything I had to keep those Cutthroats alive with one guy. I think he got three attacks in one round, and I don't know how my cutthroat survived it. I had thrown weakened tokens, cards, blocking. Uh, it was a pain. But uh, Ramsey was able to get in there and cruel methods at the beginning of the round to finish him off, which was very surprising for the other player. The third game, which was Dance, as we said, I played against another Stark player. Um, I think that, that turning point was definitely... Um, my bastard girls were able to charge or shoot, charge, and kill cutthroats turn one, which allowed them to get into the flank of berserkers by surging forth at the beginning of round two. And so I was able to pop off cruel methods and one-shot the berserkers, basically. No, I think it took a little bit more. Great John almost killed me, but Tycho came in to save the day. Um, super fun games. I very much enjoyed them. Um, the team tournament was also a blast. Um and I'm glad to see that I can still pull out a couple of wins with neutrals. It's not the easiest sometimes, but sometimes it goes well. You're terrible. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm on 
So is it my turn? You, yeah, go ahead, John. Okay, so um, I was running Starks. I came in third. Uh, I I was doing great until I ran into Craig in the third round, and uh, we'll talk about that game a little bit because that was pretty epic. Um, but I did run two lists. I, I brought two lists. I ran both of them. Um, in Coming into the event, I knew that uh, Clash Kings was going to be run. That's uh, kind of a weird scenario these days. And so one list that I built specifically for that scenario, I ended up using it twice, though. Um, and it, it's also built because I, I see a lot of uh, panic effects out there these days with lots of people running Flayed Men um, and, and other sources of, of morale modification and panic i decided i needed a list that could do a couple of things one is in that scenario um, i think that there's there's even though units come back there's a real premium on uh, being able to snag one of the objectives with your commander's unit and sit on it and just rack up two victory points per turn um, or per round and and you can just win that way if if you're getting more victory points and then the other thing that i wanted is because stuff can come back in immediately, if it hasn't activated, it can come in, it can activate, and if it's cavalry, it can charge and reach the middle of the board. So I wanted to build a list that combined um, a strong defensive center and some strong cavalry that could knock people, other people off the center. I went with a unit of sworn shields with uh, Brendan Tully for the stalwart, for the, the blocking, for the shield wall, for everything that they bring to the table. Um, a unit of Sworn Swords with uh, Rickon and Osha because I think Go Down Fighting is amazing. Um, and also to get Shaggy Dog in there, two units of Tully Cav. And then as my NCUs, um, I had uh, in that list, I had Eddard for the healing um, on those Sworn Shields mostly, um, Santa and Arya. And the reasons for them are Arya, I use her first turn to get those sworn shields four inches further into the table because they're so slow. And then the very next thing that I'm going to do, probably if I need to, is um, either use the horse to advance them again and then march them on top of a token when I can, um, or I'm going to use stance and pull swift advance and get them on a token first turn and make them, you know, in a spot that forces my, my opponent to have to knock them off. So that's exactly what I did in the first game. Um, it was against John Gilman. He ran Night's Watch. Um, he had a John Snow unit of um, Snow Vets that he was going to try and do the same thing, snag an objective, sit on it. Um, he had a unit of Sworn Brothers with uh, Alistair Thorne, who can dish out Vicious, um, and also effectively uh, the same order as... Um, a guard captain and, and a Lannister guard list. Um, and also he had a naked unit of um, vets and a naked unit of, um, of Sworn Brothers, and I don't remember his NCUs. But basically in that game I did exactly what I wanted. I got the, the Sworn Shield onto an objective on one flank, and, and they were able to sit there and grind against a unit of vets and a unit of an Alistair's unit um, and just take it. Uh, Tully Valor is an amazing card when you're sitting there with a two-up defense save and automatically passing your panic test you don't care about much. Um, and I was able to use the uh, Tully Cab to kind of deal with his stuff in the middle to the point and, and grab that middle objective to the point where uh, my opponent tried to 
had to bring John Snow's unit off of his objective just to try and kill some stuff and keep me off of that center objective. He wasn't able to do it. I ended up winning 11 to four. Um, the next game was um, Feast for Crows. And I use that same list for a couple of reasons. One is because um, there are only two objectives. You do get a bonus for having your, at least to start, you do get a bonus for having your commander on an objective. And I was looking at it and saying, if those objectives are in corpse files, I want um, sworn shields with stalwart there. And I want Tully Cav nearby who can inspire them and, and make them as resistant to um, panic and morale effects as possible. Uh, my opponent was Cameron Wright. He's local here to Indy. He runs a faith militant list that's pretty nasty. Um, I think he could tweak it in a couple of ways, but he runs three units of warrior sons, each with a champion of the faith, two units of poor fellows, um, high sparrow and Picel. And so that was a list I looked at and said, I don't want to really grind too long against them because they're going to win because their save is going to be improving. Um, and, uh, you know, they can dish out panic and, and vulnerable by extending faith t- tokens and something's going to give eventually. So I just treated one of those side objectives the same way I treated an objective in Clash of Kings. I, I sold out to get my sworn shields onto it. Um, I did kind of fake them out by doing a center deploy with my, with my knights. Uh, initially, I have more, more drops than him. I didn't tip my hand as to where I was going to deploy initially after he had put everything down on the field. My last deploy was my sworn shields. I put them on the far left flank and sold out to get them on that objective. And then I kind of pulled my cavalry from that middle back to the left flank. I didn't charge in immediately kind of played a delaying game, um, made him fearful of getting double charged by my cavalry and so I was sitting there racking up two victory points, and he had one that he was getting with poor fellows on the other side because he didn't have a field commander. Um, and eventually we kind of engaged, and, and I was able to focus on one unit of warrior sons, hit it with two units, got Shaggy Dog around the rear, and finished off the unit. That was the only unit that died the entire game, and I won 10-4. to 4. Um, And then the last game was against Craig, which was uh, the game in which I used my other list, which is a Rob Stark um, object or uh, activation spam list with three dogs, 10 activations. Um, because the way I look at uh, Dance with Dragons is um, one of the, the traps that you can fall in, into in that scenario is you get one of your important combat units on one of those objectives and it's effectively out of the game unless your opponent wants to engage them because you're limited to movement too so i try to use my dogs to grab the objectives freeing up my other units to to do some work for the most part it was happening um, until things kind of took a bad turn at the end but that list is rob in a unit uh, as my commander in a unit of sworn shield uh, rick on an ocean and sworn shield um Brandon Hodor and Great Axes, a unit of Tully Cav, all three dogs, and then Littlefinger, Cat, and uh, Santa as my NCUs. Um, Craig had three NCUs too, so that was kind of fun. Um, he was, run- I don't remember exactly what you ran, Craig. You had a unit of Tully Cav, Great Axes, Sworn Shields, and Outriders. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. That was- yeah. yeah. So, anyway, so. Um, I, it kind of was initially going, going to plan in that third game. I was able to get 
the two side objectives with my dogs. I purposefully overshot the objective on the left with my telecav um, to let uh, gray wind come in from behind and just pick it up and sit on it. Um, and, and unfortunately my telecav ended up grinding against Craig's outriders on that left flank for that entire game. Um, and, and we're never able to finish them off. Uh, I don't think they ever failed a morale test. Um, in the middle, Craig had a little bit of bad luck at, um, towards the beginning of the game. He was able to get off a sudden charge with his great axes against um, uh, Rob's unit. Um, and he, he was I, – I made a mistake. I advanced a little bit too far so that when he charged me, he actually ended up on the token and got the vicious and thundering on the charge with his great axes, which pretty much hurt because their initial charge is not their strong point. Um, I was able to flank him and get him with my great axes, and, and then he was swinging with Executioner's Fury in the next, um, in, with his next attack, and he kind of whiffed. I think he got three misses that kind of hurt him and turned the fight in the middle in my favor. Um, on the other flank, I was able to use sudden or um, sudden charge to use Rick on Anosha's unit to get a drop on his um, his Tully Cavaliers and engage them. And I thought I had it all in the bag. I was sitting on all three objectives. I had Wolves on two of them. One of them I had Rob Stark unit holding it. Um, and I think I had seven victory points. And if I just held those objectives for that one round, I would have won. Um, and then my dice kind of went south on in a couple of ways. And I failed some panic tests. Rob Stark's unit um, transfer lost a round of combat, transferred the um, the middle objective token to uh, the Sworn Shields. They weren't going to give it up. And then my um, Rick on Anosha's unit had a really bad round where, where the, the Tully Cav, who weren't charging, obviously, attacked. I think they got six hits. I failed five defense saves. And then I failed the, um, the subsequent morale test that was a straight-up test and lost eight, all eight models in the unit. They died gave up two points and then uh, it freed up the Cavaliers to chase after Shaggy Dog, who was weighed down by uh, an objective token and couldn't run um, any, any more than two inches. And he was toast. And, and that was kind of the story of the game at the end, but it was a really fun game. It was back and forth, um, really solid game. And it was, I would play Craig again any day. And um, that was kind of my tournament experience and, and the list that I ran. And Craig, it's yeah. on you. So normally you don't start at the end, but since you did just cover the last game that I played, <laughs> I'll start there just to make it simple. Um, there's not a lot to add to it really other than, um, uh, yeah, that, that panic test. He had me. He had all the objectives. He had me in the flank with uh, Rickon and Osha. Uh, once he failed that, um, I think that was – like you said, two victory points. And so going to the next round, uh, all I had freed up to fight was the Tully Cavaliers. Um, I had first activation. I was able to take the sword to kill, was it Summer? It was uh, Shaggy had Dog. The Tully Shield. Uh, Shaggy oh, Dog oh. had the objective. Um, who oh, yeah, had yeah. the Tully you, Shield you, set up? Yeah, you, you had the Tully. I had Summer in the flank of your Tully Shields, and you were able to use the sword to kill him off. Right, and then, right. and then following that, I think I played 
sudden charge and winter is coming to shut off Rob so that my charge was not disorderly. Right. And I think in that round total, I probably scored six victory points. Oh, yeah. Off of all yeah. that and killed three units. Well, you you did. But, Rob's unit survived. The, you you ended up killing, well, Summer died. Shaggy Dog died. Those were two points. You killed Rick on Anosha's unit, which got you two points. I wasn't able to do Run Child and, and, and Retreat. Rick on out of the unit, so that's a total of four. And then you picked up the victory, the the token in the middle. Um, and yeah, you killed Shaggy Dog, and so you were able to grab grab the token on the side too. So yeah, it was crazy. It was really nuts. <laughs> you had me. <laughs> you did have me <laughs> on my list going into that. I think you touched on that already, but as I use it in other games, I'll go over it. I had a unit of Tully Sworn Shields, unit of Tully Cavaliers. A uh, unit of Stark Outriders and uh, Uber Great Axes with the Blackfish in it. Then for NCUs, I had Tycho, Eddard, and Sansa. And you decided to shut down Tycho on me, which there were quite a few times in the game. I think if only I had Tycho, I'd have a chance. Oh, yeah, that's right. I had Greywind parked on that objective, and Tycho was shut down the whole game. Yeah, that was rough. But Eddard was able to heal my keep my Outriders in the fight. He'd hit me. Uh-huh. I'd pass Panic Test, heal. And around and around we went. Um, but that list uh, is designed, obviously everyone knows about the Tully list, but it's designed to win a war of attrition, and that's eventually what happened. It took yeah. longer than I wanted it to and a little bit rougher than I wanted it to be, but it did work out that way. Uh, quite a bit of luck, too, for me. But back to the beginning of the first game, the Clash of Kings. When I designed a list for that, I thought, well, you need cavalry, obviously, because you're constantly charging after the objectives. Um, so then I decided with the new 1.5 changes, they gave Outriders panic tokens, or, the, or bushwhacked to hand out panic tokens. So that seemed to me to be perfect to add to a Roos list. So I took Roos as my commander, two units of Outriders, a unit of Flayed Men, and a unit of Cavaliers, and my NCUs were Walder Frey and Sons of Stark. So basically, as Dave already said, I got on the objectives first. I played Dave first. I got on the objectives before he did and jumped out to an early lead. And I thought it was sizable enough. But Dave had other ideas. Um, normally, with a list like that, if you're running all Calgary in a Clash of Kings scenario, you're going to stall out in the middle of the game because they're going to hit you back. They're going to contest objectives because you've only got two ranks to begin with. But then you're going to die, and you actually want to because then you're charging back again. And usually you've built up a lead high enough that your counter charge after you die is enough to win the game. But Dave put a unit of berserkers in my deployment zone and just waited for me to respond. It was rather uncomfortable there for a little while for me. Uh, He not only came back, I think I had him five or six to one at one point for victory points. And he ended up coming all the way back. We were tied at the end of the game on the last activation. So what I was able to do is I was able to deploy a unit of flayed men, and then I used sudden charge and devastating impact to charge. Wasn't it Brandon Hodor with great axes, Dave? Yeah, it was, uh, it was like, I think they were at seven wounds and yeah, it was uh great axes with Brandon Hodor. Okay. And then you disorder, you made me disorderly charge. Yep. Um, 
but I had played sudden charge. I had to kill him, otherwise I'd have lost. So I played sudden charge so that I could uh, hit him without being activated. His great axes had already activated, so I was able to hit him a second time, and he failed the exact number of saves he needed to fail. So it came down to the very well, last dice roll there with Dave. The first attack, you attacked me, and I had a two-up save because you uh, charged over a wall, and I played uh, Tully, uh, Tully Valor, plus one save. That's right. <clears throat> so I had a two-up right. save, and then I just had to hope for the best for the second uh, attack, but just fell short just a little bit. I, th- I think you had four wounds left, and you failed four rolls, I think is how it went. Yeah, but that was that was close. Um, but second game though, I think I played Sean. I think his name was. Um, it was Feast for Crows. I pulled my Tully list out again, the same list I use against John. And he used Howling Reed, so he did not have a field commander. So I kind of did what John did. Um, I deployed my uh, great axes with Tully in them on the left flank. Then I put my Tully shields right next to the right of them to protect them from any charge and I just went and took the objective I let him have the objective on the far right I didn't even bother contesting it and I sat there scoring two points to one point he realized it pretty quickly and started attacking but with my ability to constantly heal I was able to kill him faster than he was able to kill me and I think I killed three of his units and he backed off and took the two corpse piles so he was scoring three points around to my two. But by then I had a lead high enough that all I had to do was sit there and wait till the last round and kind of stay away from him. And the score ended up being 10 to nine, but you know, I just kind of sat there the last round because I knew I would get to 10. And overall, um, it was a great trip. We'd definitely come back and play in India again. Uh, we do appreciate you having us out there. Everybody we played was good. So uh, we appreciate it. I think that's all I got. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we definitely appreciate you coming out, Craig. You're, you and uh, you and Ryan and uh, it's John, right, was, was the other gentleman that came down with you? Uh, Jake. Jake, I'm sorry. I'm so bad with names. I'm sorry. I know what it <laughs> looks like. Um, yeah, you guys were you guys were a real pleasure. So um, definitely any time. And uh, if we can find the time and make something happen to kind of road trip out to you guys to support your local scene as well, we'd love to do it. So um, oh, we are. Go ahead. Go no. Go ahead. Uh, we are looking to do a tournament locally here um, at Mulkey's Restaurant on February 23rd. Uh, the Sunday of that weekend. So you guys are more than welcome to join us. Yeah, and, and Marty and uh, Moline, Illinois. coming out with that one as well, right? Right. And I should be there, Talk too. to him today. Perfect. Should be a good time. Okay. So I guess I guess I'll get started. Um, I obviously also had two lists. Um I ended up running the same list the entire time. And uh, I don't want to say that the Yarwick list was a decoy, but uh, I I wasn't really sure under what circumstance I would pull it out. Now, if I had honestly played 
uh, John Hurley's list with two Tully Cav, I probably would have deployed the, the Yarwick list because it's kind of designed to hurt you for attacking me. But uh, the primary list is a Jon Snow list. It's got Jon Snow in a unit of veterans like everybody else. Imagine the surprise there. So obviously that comes with Ghost. And then I run two units of Flayed Men. And then I run a unit of Trackers. And the NCUs are Bowen Marsh and Amons. So in some ways it's pretty pretty standard Night's Watch, but the, the two Flayed Men is a little bit different. And uh, No Sworn Brothers is also kind of different. The Yarwick list that I had as my backup list was uh, three units of Veterans, uh, two units of Trackers, Yarwick, and then Amon. And the general concept behind that list is uh, Yarwick has maybe the most offensive cards out of any commander. So the fact that the vet stat line goes eight seven six, they don't really care too much about starting to lose rank. They've got counterattack, which we'll get into counterattacks later because they, they came up huge in one of my games, and uh, and then being able to give them critical blows, rerolling any attack dice, or uh, vicious or thundering with uh, precision, it kind of gives them a little bit of punch behind their pretty vanilla stat line. Uh, they do hit on threes, but uh, yeah, being able to give them some of those keywords definitely helps. And uh, then the trackers are basically there to uh, proc uh, vulnerable tokens for the veterans, and then um, they're able to shoot into the combat pretty safely because of the veterans' morale of five, and they can kind of finish off anything that the veterans can't deal with. So it is a good list, and I do like it, but I just stuck with the, the hot hand of Jon Snow. So I actually drew a Stark army, round one, in Clash of Kings. I deployed the two Flaidmen list because it's Clash of Kings. Like everybody's mentioned, you're coming on. If you lose your cavalry, they're pretty much able to charge right away. Just a second. That sounds like a cavalry charge. Yeah, that's the cavalry charge, all right. That's so definitely what my work. They're able to like. come in and uh, they're able to come in and charge right away. Uh, cavalry has a very big advantage in that scenario because generally you're fighting for tokens and uh, they can make it onto the board and get a charge straight away, which is huge, especially when they're flayed men and they they deal out a panic token when they charge. So, what my opponent did was um, he actually threw me off a little bit. Because I moved Jon Snow up, and uh, I wanted to get Jon Snow onto the center, but he was facing uh, Roderick Greataxes. So the list I was up against was a Roderick list, and I'm doing my best to remember it, but I'm pretty sure it was Roderick and a unit of Greataxes, and then another unit of Greataxes with Brandon Hodor, and then it was Stark Sworn Swords with Dario, Stark Sworn Swords with Sirio, and then another unit of regular Stark Sworn Swords, and then Sansa Arya. So he actually had sudden charge in his hand, but he needed a five to make it to Jon Snow. And I didn't think that he would risk that, but he did. And then he made the charge, and he played Winter is Coming, so he shut off counterattacks and Jon's ability to heal uh, any damage that I took. And I ended up taking four hits from him. And uh, it was actually really, really... Um, really lucky that I had an it shall not end until my death in my hand because when he did the follow-up attack Roderick can make you vulnerable and then he's got the eight attack dice hitting on twos with re-rolls so what happened to you Craig wouldn't have happened probably 
if you had Roderick. <laughs> you know, he did roll those three right. ones, but he was able to re-roll them with Roderick. Seems a little bit redundant, but it actually kind of matters. So he stuck eight wounds on me just like that, and he would have wiped out John's unit and kind of stuck me back for a round because he had already activated. But luckily I had it shall not end until my death. I was able to keep John alive. Then I was able to remove his activation token and swing into those great axes. And then when I took my next round in activation, I was able to finish Roderick's unit off, which really kind of tilted the game from the beginning. He had me. Honestly, he had me from, from the get-go. I was like, this is going to be a bad game. But uh, it just worked out that I had that in my hand, and uh, I was able to overcome that. And then from there, just his army didn't really have an answer for the flayed men. So an army with uh, a four-plus defensive save and just average morale of six isn't going to be standing up to a flayed men charge very well. And with the, the ranger trackers dishing out a vulnerable token and then the flayed men providing their own panic token with vicious, it's a really, really, really nasty charge. Um, arguably better than Lance Cavalry against things that have a four plus armor save if you've got the ability to dish out those tokens. And then I think flayed men also synergize really well with the Night's Watch deck anyway because you've got Watcher on the wall and flayed men can effectively march 10 inches and then do their activation. So they've got a really, really deep threat range to alpha strike other flayed men or other cavalry units. And then additionally, Jon Snow's card for the watch can give them plus two movement when they activate. So they can really, really, really fly across the board, and they're hitting you when you think that you're safe, and that's just always going to be bad business. But I was able to pull the win out of that one. He did kill the flayed men, both units of flayed men once, and that game ended at 10 to 6. And then my next round, which was um, Feast for Crows, I drew another Great Axe Heavy Stark list. This was an all Umber list. He had Great John Umber in a unit of Sworn Shields, Umber Great Axes with Brandon Hodor, Umber Great Axes with an Umber Champion, uh, Sworn Swords with Rickon and Osha, Sworn Swords, just vanilla. And I want to say his NCUs might have been Sansa and Arya as well, but possibly maybe I, – I, I can't remember. I know, I know that Sansa was in the list, but I can't, I can't remember who, who the other NCU was. So in that game, he deployed Great John over on one flank, and I answered that with Ghost, and then I answered it with the Flayedman. Once he committed a second unit over to that flank, I put the entire rest of my army off to the left flank, and my first thing that I did was march the rest of my troops over, and I abandoned the entire flank that had Great John Umber in it because he was so slow in those sworn shields. I was like, he's going to get on this objective token, and that's fine. Um, his army's kind of going to be split up and then I'm going to be able to do what I need to do over here on this flank and get John on the objective, and we should be okay. And in that game, um, the, big, the big thing that broke that game open was um, I was able to play for the watch on Ghost and give him movement eight, and I was able to wipe out Summer, who was sitting right next to Brain and Hodor. Well, instead of um, retreating behind his uh, lines, I actually put Ghost in a spot where the Great Axes could charge me because I had It Shall Not End Until My Death in my hand, 
and I wanted to pin that unit of great axes, and I was hoping he would go for Ghost. And he did go for Ghost, and he did kill him, and I played that card. Well, at that point, I was able to remove his activation token, and then I had Sword in the Darkness in my hand, and I controlled the sword. So Ghost was able to chomp into that great axe unit and do four wounds and then made him fail his panic test. And then from there, it was really simple for the uh, trackers to just move up and shoot and wipe that unit of great axes out. And then from there, I was able to double charge the other unit of great axes with flayed men. And once the great axes were dead, uh, I ended up killing everything but great John Umber. And I won that game 11 to 6. And then my last round, um, I drew Ryan, who had an all-cavalry Lannister army. All cavalry. It was three units of Knights of Castle Rock, a unit of Flaidmen, uh, Pycelle, and Tyrion, NCU. And it was commanded by the High Sparrow. And this game was actually really, really, really tough. Um, he got an alpha strike on Jon Snow, with the uh, flayed men, and uh, the big, the big thing that broke that game open was counterattacks, which I alluded to the fact that I would talk about those. I had placed, um, I had placed the horn that wakes the sleeper on Jon Snow's unit because I controlled the letter, and I had Shield of the Realms of Men in hand, but you can't play Shield of the Realms of Men and call counterattacks in the same turn. But what you can do is if you control the money bag as well, which I did, you can swap shield, uh, Horn that wakes the sleeper with Shield of the Realms of Men and then go ahead and block those D3 hits. And then you can call counterattack as well. Well, that's exactly what I needed because I was able to block the D3 hits and then I defended maybe four of them. And when he rolled his defensive save, he failed three. So that took the flayed men down to nine wounds. And at that point, I felt comfortable sending my flayed men into his flank with the vulnerable token, and I was able to wipe out his flayed men. And then kind of after that, once his flayed men were gone, I was a little bit more comfortable because it was Dance with Dragons, and I had removed his unit that had Vicious. And then I was able to kind of slowly run around the board, and we played a little bit of the Mexican standoff, you know, uh, my cavalry and his, and I had to eat some charges from those knights, which I, I never really liked to do, but... The MVP ended up being the uh, trackers because they're so fast. I was actually charging them into combat and hitting his Knights of Castle Rock, not expecting to really do any damage, but just to pin them down and keep them from charging me. So I was essentially able to tie his Knights up for the rest of the game, and I was able to keep Jon Snow scoring on that objective, and I won that one. I think that was the one I won 11 to 6. The previous game I won 12 to 5. So I had a 10, 11, and a 12 in victory points. And I just edged Craig out by one. He finished with 32, and I finished with 33. So we didn't really have time to play four rounds because the people that had come out of town needed to kind of get on the road. So unfortunately, Craig and I didn't get to do the, the, the big showdown of the undefeated guys but i'm sure i'll play him again at some point but it was a really fun tournament and uh we saw some pretty interesting lists and some pretty interesting things so it's uh definitely something to keep in mind but uh so that's that's it from my perspective and i think at this point we're gonna kind of move on to um everybody's thoughts 
on this next point, which is uh, the lack of Varys. Um, I don't think that Varys ever saw the table. Um, there might, I think he was maybe in one list, but I don't think he ever saw the table. So what are, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, anybody want to say anything about that? Just, just the, the timing effect change for him. I think it makes him, um, that's the bigger nerf than the increase in the points because you don't know what zone somebody's going to claim. And even bigger than that, a lot of the time, you don't know if they're going to play a replacement effect. I know Brett, you and I play a lot and you used to take various specifically to try and stop sudden charge because I would have to declare whether I was doing sudden charge when I claimed the zone. And then you could use Varus to stop it. And, and you could just hold back a couple of his tokens where now um, you can't do that because you don't know whether the person's going to play sudden charge or not. And, and more important, if you try to use Varus and say, okay, I'm going to block your zone effect, this, uh, this activation, I don't need to play sudden charge out of my hand. I can just hold on to it until later. So um, I, I think his utility is highly limited now, except to stop certain NCUs where you know that their uh, inherent uh, influence is really powerful and you know you need to stop it, then Veras may have a place like Walder or even Cersei you know that when they get played, you want to stop their influence. And so you could still use him for that purpose, but there's other ways to fight those NCUs that are cheaper. And so I just don't see much of a, a reason to take him anymore. I've, uh, I've talked about it before on here. I think Varys' biggest strength before, uh, obviously he was amazing, but he can, he was able to stop an entire activation of an opponent. I think that was the single biggest strength and that's completely gone. Now you are incapable of stopping an activation if your opponent chooses. Um, however, that being said, if he was five points, I think I'd still take him in like a lot of lists. So I'm, I mean, I'm definitely not looking to take him a whole lot now, but five points I'd pay for it still. If, if he was the same as he was before. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I, I think that would be balanced if, if they had kept him, um, with the same ability, if they hadn't changed his ability at all, and he had, they had put him at five points, he would still be usable and at five points, and, and people would still take him. But with the combination of the points increase and nerfing his ability, I just don't see how he how he's worth it anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm totally agreeing. At uh, at five points, if he could still block zone replacement, and I know sudden charge is kind of the the default, that's the one we go to. It's not just sudden charge. It's uh, it's the Gregor card, Orders to Destroy, which is also a right. charge card. And uh, it's yeah. the, the Endless Horde. And so I'm sure there's others, but um, really the zone replacement kind of effects are usually huge, and those are the cards that you really wanted to stop. And I always felt like while Varus was a little bit powerful, so are those cards. And I felt like they kind of needed to be checked. And it's a lot harder to check those cards now. Um, but having said that, um, I don't think he's totally unusable. He can still kind of stop predictable things if, 
like when great actors charge you at the top of the round and they're in, or, and they're going first, they're obviously going to go for the swords to try to finish you off before they activate. So he would still be able to stop that. Um, obviously, a Night's Watch player with Amon, you know, if he just brought John's unit back to life, they're clearly going to go for the money bag. So you can kind of still block that. But he's just, I don't see how he's five points at this point. Um, what do you think about it, Craig? Um, the only reason I could see using him as he currently sits is if Frey becomes uh, incredibly popular and everyone starts running Frey to shut down Cavaliers and Great Axes and stuff like that. Um, because if you've got a big charge, I mean, it's obvious I have to charge you to win the game. I've got my Cavaliers set up to do it. You roll their Frey me, I lose the game. But if you can cancel that with Varys, you know. But other than that, I don't really see a reason to bring him anymore. That's- yeah, for for um, for uh, Frey, I have Littlefinger in one of my lists because the way I, I figure it is, you know, he may be able to do a thing when uh, when my opponent is going first, but you know, if I'm going first, I'm just going to put a little finger on the crown. I'm going to use it for something else I want and block him and still get some utility beyond the base um, effect of the crown. So that's, that was kind of my plan for dealing with him. If I encountered him rather than selling out to Veras. And it's cheaper. Yeah, exactly. And then he has, his effect is, his effect, I think, is underrated by a lot of people. That that ability to replace one's own effect with another and double up has come in handy so often for me. Um, you know, double healing when you need to by taking the bags twice. Um, I've against free folk. I, I've actually double crowned people um, and nuked two units in one round with that. Um, it's it's incredibly useful and, and adds a lot of flexibility to your offensive game. Um, in some ways, and you know, taking the sword, nobody lets you do the sword effect twice. Though, um, but, <laughs> not anymore. You know, it's yeah, yeah. But uh, he has a lot of flexibility that you don't get with you know, Varys is purely defensive, and and uh, um, Littlefinger can be played both ways. So he's, he's yeah, great. you use him really well against me. <laughs> what do you think about it, Jose? You got anything to add to Varys? Uh, well, I mean, I didn't go to the tournament, uh, but I think it's interesting that he didn't hit the table because um, I know I thought before I thought he would still be uh, used. I mean, granted, there was only one tournament, but I thought he I thought he would still be, you know, a viable character just in the sense of like you have you just have to do a little more, I guess, predicting, um, and then just kind of like like I mentioned before on the show, like the the intimidation factor, like you know, uh, to the other player thinking, like, okay, they have theirs. Like, this, I can get things shut off. Like, because I've done things just, be, like, that I normally wouldn't do just because someone has theirs. So, like, I don't know. I, I, I thought he would still be taken. So, I just think it's interesting that he wasn't. Um, obviously, I understand why. You know, you guys probably have very good points. But, um, so, it's just it's just interesting is all. I guess we'll see, you know, at a Depicon, um, if anyone throws him in the list or not, and it's a table. I think if you got, I think if you have five free point, five points to spend on a neutral NCU, that you're going to take Walder. 
because you can actually do a lot of the same things that you can do with bears in terms of blunting what the other guy is doing because, um, you know, if usually a lot of the effects that you're worried about blocking may be tied to a unit in that particular situation. I think uh, I don't remember whether it's Craig or Brett who were talking about shutting down the abilities of a unit. If you shut down the abilities of uh, a unit of Tully Cavaliers, you don't care so much if they're going to sudden charge you because they're not going to hurt you that bad. And so whereas Varus could stop the, the playing of the sudden charge, um, Walder kind of gets you to the same place by making you not care whether they sudden charge because they're not really going to hurt you. Um, and, and he, and that effect is, you know, it's something that's harder to, uh, it's a more lasting effect than, than just one uh, blocking one uh, NCU effect or whatever it may be. So I think if, if I had five points, I'm probably just going to take Walder instead of Varys anyway. You can even use them to snipe wolves if you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or soon to be bears. <laughs> yeah, it makes them worth a point. Hey, leave my bears alone. Yeah. yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Is that over the course of a game, you could just snipe the same, you know, you snipe the same wolf twice. Dead wolf. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm worried about what you're like. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, Craig, I don't know if you noticed in our game, I think I used all three of Eddard's tokens on uh, on my wolves because you would do oh, like I one wound to them with your, with your outriders and because uh, I had your outriders tied up. But I knew if I left that one wound there, you would walter and get that free victory point. So I was yep. wasting oh. my Eddard tokens just to make sure that they, you know, would get back to their two health so you couldn't just you know, one turn kill with a, a Walder uh, influence. I, I wouldn't say you wasted him because I took, I think, four attacks, so four activations on that same wolf, and he was still there laughing at me at the end of the game with no wounds on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the wolves are the only and, things in my list that didn't die. <laughs> yeah. It, including, I mean, all I had to do was kill the wolf at the end. I never would have had to do that crazy charge. And I still couldn't do it with eight dice. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. So what about the uh, what about the fact that I, at this event now and now we, um, simultaneously uh, with our event they had the Las Vegas Open and the Las Vegas Open was primarily Lannister, but our event was primarily Stark. So we had eight Stark players. Do you guys feel like Stark? Uh, Starks around Indy and maybe maybe Lannisters just in general. Do you think Starks and Lannisters are the the two best houses? They just got their full updates. Do you think they're the two strongest right now? I do, yeah. Um, and coming at it like in a not complaining aspect, but uh, yeah, it definitely feels like they have a lot more tools in their box than everyone else, and that matters significantly when you need to be versatile in a game. Uh, they like Starks, for instance, can do. And we talked about it when we talked about Starks. They can basically run any type of list they feel like. They can be offensive. They can be defensive. They can be controlling. They can be incredibly fast. Um, it's it's hard to to say that an army is not really good when they just have so much that they can do. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I don't know that I. Um... 
I don't know that I think Lannisters are the strongest. I, I, or I don't know that I put them over Night's Watch. I think that even with some of the changes to Night's Watch and weakening um, some of the things that they can do, uh, they still have some incredible tools at their disposal. I think that trackers are way underrated by lots of people. That ability to hand out the vulnerable token um, is huge. The mobility that they bring to the table in terms of going after objectives and the ability to go after things like dogs in, in a Stark list and, and take them down. Um, I think trackers are great. And, you know, Jon Snow has always been strong um, and he hasn't gotten any weaker. Um, you know, obviously, if you put him in a unit of sworn brothers, the cost goes up a little bit. But most people put him in vets anyway. And, and in objective-based scenarios, which most of the scenarios out there um, that you would see in a tournament revolve around objectives, and they also give an additional point for uh, commander control of objectives, I think Night's Watch still, I put them ahead of Lannister. Well, I was, I was going to say, I, I was going to say too, um, I think, you know, apart from everything we've already, you know, we've already said on the show, and, and you guys made also very good points too, but I also was going to say that I think sometimes it's even just the fact of like comfortability. Like, uh, you know, someone may have, for example, someone may have Targaryens, but they've been playing Lannister since the game came out. And, you know, for a tournament, they're going to use what they're most comfortable with. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think I think it'll be, I as new armies get released, and you know, it takes a while for, I, I for me at least, but I'm sure if a lot of people feel the same way, it takes a while for you to kind of, like, get the groove, um, play them correctly, um, you know, kind of, uh, and then, and then, Adding more tools to the to the box as more units come out, more MTUs and whatever else. Um, like for example, right now I'm playing Baratheons, but you know every time a tournament comes up, I was constantly going back to Starks because I have so many Starks and I've been using Starks since the game first came out. So I think yeah. sometimes that's even that's even part of the reason why you see so many Starks and Lannisters um, on top of everything else you guys have mentioned as well too. So. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's I think that's a really valid point because I've been playing Starks since the game came out and I'm also somebody who paints and I want to play with painted models and that too. <laughs> there's a bit there, you've made a big you make a huge commitment to your army when you paint it and you know getting into a new army and and painting that army is takes a lot of time and so if you already have a whole bunch of Starks like I do, that's what you're going to use. And, and that's kind of what I'm going to stick with. Um, unless I sit down and, and paint a usable, uh, you know, a usable, you know, 50, 60 points that I can mix and match something else. I'm going to be playing Starks for the foreseeable future. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's, uh, that's another huge point too. So I, I yeah. didn't think of that, but that's, that's very true. I mean, I, I paint everything I have. Um, same thing. And then every time I get a new army, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited to play it. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's the same. Like you said, I, I've had my whole army, my whole stuff army painted, and I just sometimes really just see a whole painter on the table. Yeah. And to, and to piggyback onto that, on the comfort level and everything, most of those people that are at the top of these tournaments have been playing since the game came out, and there were only two options when the game came out, so you're still going to see them at the top. There was three. 
Neutral. They're neutral. <laughs> I've been playing them since day one. <laughs> okay, you know, I stand corrected. There, there's two and a half. So <laughs> okay, I'll take that. But right. since we so mentioned true. the Las Vegas Open, the lists were shared online, and it was very interesting because neutrals did well there. Um, and then the other, the other thing about it was that um, the Lannister lists that were in there, in some respects were very similar to the list that I saw being run when the, when the game first came out with a lot of Lannister supremacy. When the game first came out, it was kind of this whole Lannister supremacy Cersei thing going on um, and at, that seemed to be dominating, um, at least initially. And the Las Vegas open list are kind of going back to that. It was kind of interesting to see. I. I actually think Lannister supremacy has come around full circle again because of the change to morale. So the downside yeah. of playing Lannister supremacy with Cersei was you get a negative two, maybe a negative four, but the counter to supremacy was what you and Dave seem to run, which is uh, something like with Stalwart and, and high morale. But now with the change to panic, you only have to get them to fail by one, and then they're going to take right. two to four wounds. And with the easy act, I, I, I'm sure you saw that there was a Roose Bolton I, I'm high on Bruce Bolton right now. Um, panic tokens, I think, are huge in this yep. game. So yep. they're, they're running Bruce Bolton with Cersei and Lannister Supremacy, so you've got easy right. access to panic tokens. And then and that, you're making them fail, and then you're making them reroll the D3. I see it as yeah. three to four wounds for every failed panic check. And it's pretty easy to do with a panic token, honestly. Having right. played Slade Men was just vicious. So I want to jump in on that real quick. I think... Uh, I, at least I've found it kind of difficult. Maybe Lannisters have an easier time, but Roose Bolton, unless you're not using those cards, you're not using those panic tokens to make them re-roll panic. You've got six cards plus some if you recycle with the four cards you can recycle that you're trying to expend panic tokens on. I I would honestly only use the one that... Uh, calculated that, uh, Cruelty. Flademan has no secrets in Calculated Cruelty are probably the only two of his cards I would use, and I would yeah. save the panic tokens to use those cards. But generally, if I was playing Roos, I would be after the panic tokens more so than the cards. Yeah, and Atlanta, especially sure. when you, yeah. especially when you have vicious units these days, so to stack with those panic tokens. But but to go back about talking about Lannister supremacy going full circle, when the game first started, one of the first tournaments that I I played in, um, after having played just a little bit, my response to seeing Cersei in all of these games with Lannister supremacy was to run a blackfish list. And and part of it was because of Stalwart, but the other part of it was because of um, an amazing card, which is Tully Valor, where you automatically pass your panic test um, when somebody attacks you. And when you're getting hit by somebody who's vicious and lays a panic token, to be able to say, I don't care, I'm passing my test regardless of how bad you make it, is a pretty big deal. And so that's what that was what I was doing is I was I was really counting on that card a lot. And so this tournament, guess what? I was back to doing the Blackfish and I hadn't run him in months, but with the way that Lannister Supremacy and, and Panic has kind of come back or or the concern about that, I ended up running him. Um, and it and it paid off. So God it bless. It did absolutely, game. absolutely. <laughs> I think he might be the best commander the Starks have at this point. Yeah, with the I, current I panic rules. Yeah, 
And now that they dropped Tully Cavaliers, you can actually build a viable list that's not just Thorn Shield. Yeah, and, and but the other thing is that during my games, their inspiring um, rule it was huge as well because you keep um, you're you're near those Thorn Shields and they have a plus three to their panic test, which is pretty amazing. Right. <laughs> so they're they're effective. They're effective morale three, which is uh, yeah, it's just you know, and and then. If if you are in a really bad spot, you can use Dollar for, for the other stuff or Direwolf's Fervor. And so you have a fairly resistant list to panic effects. So I think I absolutely think that in that, taking that aspect of the meta in, into account, I think Blackfish is really good today. I hope everybody who talked badly about Embolden is biting their tongues right now. Embolden <laughs> is an amazing ability. You have to remember yeah. it, but it's amazing. Like, seriously. it's uh, Dave always says morale is an extension on your defense, and I can't agree anymore because when my vets die, they don't die from getting beat on. They die from panic. So right. If I, if I had a way to boost their morale, I'd be happy. I mean, a five is pretty good, but you still fail pretty often, and it's pretty punishing. So I, I think real quick, we want to touch on uh classic Kings and especially the guys who just played in a tournament. I think we all pretty much kind of uh, implied or touched on um, our lists were, were chosen simply because of that scenario. How do you guys feel about it as a competitive scenario? Um, I know at Adepticon currently it's slated to be in place of fire and blood, but uh what do you guys think? Personally, I would prefer probably Fire and Blood, but um, what do you think about uh, Clash of Kings? It was the meta changer before because that was the list you brought double Slademan and tried to hold the center. Do you think it's changing the meta again to uh, people where it's cavalry or bust in that scenario? I kind of do. Um, and, you know, just because I, I think that um, – what we talked about, that ability to come in. I don't think it necessarily needs to be all cavalry. I think that, like, the list I brought did have one unit that was designed infantry unit because you could get three ranks that was highly defensive, and, and you would get them with your field commander. Um, and that's the other thing is that most, caval- most cavalry can't contain your commander for most armies. So you kind of, if you want to be racking up those double points, you need an infantry field commander. But, yeah, just get an infantry field commander and then sell out to cavalry so that you can try to knock. That's your, that's your best chance to um, kind of knock people off the other objective. If you got two armies, each with a defensive infantry unit sitting in one place or the other, the ability to come back in and charge and have the impetus of that charge gives you the ability to, to kind of control the other objectives or, or keep the other guy off of it. So, yeah, I think it's all about cavalry. I think I'm on the same boat as Brett with uh, Fire and Blood. Even though it's kind of just a slugfest, you just try to murder each other as quick as possible. Uh, Clash of Kings absolutely like hamstrings people into wanting to only bring cavalry. So, it's a little weird to have a scenario that they're like, Hey, just bring the one unit, two units in your army that you can bring. Um, that doesn't really help units be brought at all. And 
it gives a clear, clear, clear advantage to one specific thing. The other yeah. thing I want to add really quick before Dave goes, my other concern with that scenario is uh, like an activation spam list because it doesn't count as your activation when you come on and then um, you get to activate them later. So it's effectively, if you've got a list that's like free folk with 11 uh or 10 combat units or 11 combat units and then two NCUs, that's effectively 22 activations that they're having because one to drop the unit, one to activate the unit. And I'm not calling anybody out or saying it, but I have heard about issues with free folk players stalling at tournaments. And that is like the perfect scenario to go score one or two points before your opponent can push you and then stall because you've got effectively 22 drops. And if you're pausing to think where you want this unit and you're measuring it out to make sure you can get them, there's entirely way too much opportunity to stall if you've got 11 units that you're bringing in. That's a really good point. And even even if it's not being used to stall that activation, Brett, you actually reminded me we played um, a prep game a couple weeks back um, Clash Kings, and I had an activation advantage on you. And if nothing else, being able to do that, to kind of hesitate um, and, and use that activation advantage, um, it allows you to multiply that advantage so that all your stuff is going at the end of the round and and your opponent doesn't get to respond to it. I think I had uh, three units taking actions when you were done, even though I only had um, one more activation than you. If, if yeah. it, yeah, it kind of, it kind of throws things off. It plays longer and it magnifies the activation advantage. So I don't, I'm not a fan as it's currently set. Ailes took six straight, um, effectively six straight turns of me just watching in it. It's fine. I mean, I'm, it's not something that's going to frustrate me, but it's kind of something that can maybe leave a little bit of a bad taste, which you never want at a tournament. If somebody's literally yeah. sitting and watching their opponent take 12 turns to their just 12 <laughs> in a row with them having no action, it's very disengaging. And uh, yeah. it's just not, it's not my favorite scenario, but that's just my take on it. So I actually yeah, love I, this I scenario. But I, I love it, but it's a lot of fun to play at the game store on a Thursday night or whatever. Um, but like you guys said, I've had games where no one was stalling and they'd go for three hours just because of the constant redeploying and everything else. It is a great scenario, but it is terrible for competitive play and should not be in a tournament, in my opinion. You got anything um, to I add to it? Uh, yeah, I was going to say uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as everyone. Um, I was just going to kind of go over a couple ideas I thought might help fix it. I mean, they might not be the end-all, be-all of fixing the scenario, but um, possibly even making the deployment only six inches um, so that way it's harder to jump up on the objective's first turn um, and or uh, changing it back to just be the boxes, you know, the corner deployments, so that way the mental objective isn't uh, obtainable right away. So 
and I just feel like uh, like when it had the corner uh, deployments, it was just something different that you didn't encounter with the other missions. Is it came, you know, it gave an, an element of more uh, deployments rather than everything just being six or twelve. Uh, so, and you know, if you put a bog or a course pile or something underneath the middle objective back with the corner um, deployments. It wasn't uh, very easy for cavalry to get on it um, right away. So <clears throat> I think uh, small changes like that, uh, they would have to be tested to be sure if how much impact they would do. But I'm, I don't have, like, I haven't lost all hope for Clash for, you know, being competitive. But as is, it uh, it needs to change at least a little bit. Yeah, as far as I I agree with everything that's been said, and the other thing I wanted to add is that if you're looking at scenarios to include in a competitive envi- environment, one of the things that I like about Fire and Blood is that it's not based on controlling objectives, um, and so it makes you play a little bit differently um, than the other games game modes, um, and, and to think about how to construct your army. And it can kind of make for a more free-flowing game um, when you're actually playing because you're not tied to these artificial points on the board. It, it allows you to ebb and flow, um, pull back when necessary. And, and I, I really like that game mode. I, I do think that they should dial it back a little bit. I, I wasn't necessarily a fan of the, um, of the rule where the marked units get an additional two attack dice. Um, that makes it maybe a little bit too bloody and quick. Um, but I like, I, I like the idea of a, um, of a battle that's more of just a straight up fight about killing stuff than controlling objectives. I, I was going to say to your point about, um, about even the units, uh, plus two attack. I actually kind of like that change. Um, because I feel like it makes you think twice on who to mark now. Because before it was always, um, I don't know. I feel like you, you know, you you would. You, well, I guess not think twice, but like you always want to mark the weakest units, I guess, right? But now it provides more of a challenge for the well, weakest units to be taken out. Some, sometimes their weakest oh, yeah. unit is a really hard hitting unit, and you might not want to do that. Yeah, if I, yeah, if like, I have like, an like army that, or something, yeah. Yeah, if I have two units of Tully Cav. And two units of great axes. What are you going to mark? Holy Cav and Holder Frey. Yeah. <laughs> so, but seriously, I mean, that's the thing is that for that, that you know, with with the plus two dice, I'm going to be like every every unit I'm taking in this army is going to punish you if you put um, if you give it two more attacks. So yeah, so that that's you know I I would build a list to take advantage of that, but I'm not necessarily a fan of it. All right, so well, the choice is that uh, between kinda... Clash of Kings. What was that? I said, but your, if your choice is between that and Clash of Kings, which do you go with? Oh, you know, fire that one's blood. a lot more tournament friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Fire, 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 fire,
clash is definitely not like a lost cause. I think just a couple of small changes and it will be right up there with a lot of the other, you know, great uh, tournament missions. Um, Fire and Blood, though, between the two, I think is definitely the better of the options right now. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think that kind of concludes uh, most of all of our topics. Um, Craig, if you want, if you want to give uh, that shout-out one more time for your, the the tournament, uh, you know, let them know where it's at, uh, you know, point costs and all the, you know, all the fun details. Yeah, um, it is going to be Sunday, February 23rd at Mulkey's Restaurant in Moline, Illinois, uh, right on the Mississippi River. And it's going to be uh, hosted by the same guy who's doing Adepticon, and it's going to be 40 points, just like most other tournaments. Um, I think we're going to follow the same rules that uh, Adepticon follows. And it's actually at a restaurant, so the food will be good, and should be a good time, a one-day tournament. Uh, $10 entry, I believe. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to having you. Playing you again. I have yet to play you. Oh, we're going to have to make that happen. I played the other two. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to make um, it happen. Then. The, yeah. Um, for those that uh, haven't yet, make sure you like our page. Uh, as soon as we get 150 likes, which I believe we're only about 11 away, uh, we're going to give out uh, a unit box um, to a random, uh, you know, a random person that's like the page. Uh, so shout the, you know, share it out and try to get a couple more likes on there. And then uh, we'll be continuing to give out a bunch of, you know, prizes as we progress. But, uh, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. Please remember to share the show out. Give it a like. This is currently the best way you can support us. It helps a ton, you know, the word of mouth. Uh, we're still relatively new. So, uh, you know, word of mouth is definitely going to be the best way to let people know that we're, you know, doing this show. We do it every week on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Uh, again, I apologize for my voice. Um, I'm pretty sick, but uh, I should be good by next week where we'll be talking about the free folk. Uh, and how they uh, stack up with uh, 1.5. And I believe our guest for that week is going to actually be Chase from On the Table Gaming. So please be sure to check that one out. Thank you all so much for listening. Small Council is dismissed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.